Coming up on episode 400 of the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome back Dr. David Jockers. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you for pressing play today. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Well, guess what? Today's a special episode, a milestone for the Keto Camp Podcast, episode 400. This is something we're celebrating with you, uh, acknowledging you for showing up, pressing play, whether you are listening at the gym, while you're doing chores, walking your dog, on your way to work, driving on a road trip. Thank you so much for continuing to press play on the Keto Camp Podcast. We first launched the Keto Camp Podcast episode one in July of 2019. So we're headed towards our three-year anniversary, 400 episodes deep, and we are just getting started. It is super cool to see how the podcast has grown, and reached so many lives. We've achieved a top 15 status in the United States alternative health space. And the podcast, when looking at the stats, has reached 111 countries. We're about to hit 2 million downloads, and we can't be more grateful. Thank you so much. We are committed. We're going to continue to release new episodes here on the podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That's right, three brand new episodes every single week. There is no other podcast doing what we're doing. Our show notes are off the chain, meaning it is one of the best show notes detailed with links and everything mentioned on every episode. We put a lot of resources and energy, so I want to acknowledge our team, Ian, our sound engineer, Rachel, podcast notes, Alina and Andrea, my assistants who are helping coordinate everything. Repurpose House, which helps with all the assets that we distribute, and of course, you and all the guests who have been on the show. I also want to share something special that we put together. It's called the Keto Camp Manifesto. This is the first time that I'm sharing this to the public. Right now, only my close friends and my team have heard the manifesto, and now I'm going to reveal it to you as a special thank you and as a reveal on this special milestone episode 400. And then, of course, we'll get into Dr. Jockers and what we're going to talk about. So here's the Keto Camp Manifesto. I hope you enjoy it. A keto camper is the committed person who takes responsibility for where they are at. A keto camper is not a victim of the past. They are a victor of their future. They don't make excuses or complain about what's not working. Instead, they focus on taking simple actions today to serve their future self tomorrow. A keto camper is what Einstein refers to as geniuses. Einstein said, intellectuals solve problems, geniuses prevent them. They understand cause and effect 
and are willing to put in the work to identify opportunities for healing. They are not looking for shortcuts, band-aids, or quick weight loss fads. They are focusing on a holistic approach which encompasses spiritual, physical, and mental health. A keto camper doesn't allow outside circumstances to change their internal state. Instead, they set the temperature of their external environment like a thermostat. A keto camper is a no-excuse, take-action, get-it-done, no-compromise person who values their integrity, self-worth, confidence, and doesn't change who they are for anybody. A keto camper is in control of their destiny, their health, their thoughts, their actions, and in turn, their life. Keto camp is a mentality that you choose to step into. It's your purpose for living on planet Earth. It means facing your fear and doing it anyway. You are a keto camper now. Hope you liked our manifesto. You are a keto camper now. Thank you for listening. Today's episode is with Dr. David Jockers. Dr. Jockers has one of the most popular natural health websites, which is drjockers.com, with over a million monthly page views each month. He's been featured on the Dr. Oz Show, Hallmark Channel. He's got incredible books and incredible podcasts that I have been grateful to be a guest on. On today's episode, this is actually a recording we did for a previous keto challenge. Now, this has never been released to the public. This is the first time, and it was such a great conversation. I wanted to release it to you today. What we get into is his backstory, pain to purpose, but also these two pathways inside of your body, mTOR and autophagy, and the balancing act, the delicate dance between these two pathways. And if you could manage to get a healthy dose of mTOR and autophagy, you're going to thrive. Remember, mTOR is anabolic, autophagy is catabolic, and they're both great, but in spurts. We also talk about what happens during autophagy and apoptosis when the body gets rid of a senescent cell, what happens next. The process is incredible. We talk about why Dr. Jockers loves keto, the importance of implementing intermittent fasting. He believes if we could implement intermittent fasting to the general public, 90 to 95% of chronic diseases would be gone. That is a powerful statement. We also get into why we both believe keto is great, but we don't stay in ketosis long-term and how the magic is keto flexing. We get into metabolic flexibility, the mismatch between holistic alternative health and conventional wisdom. We also get into how fasting could reset your gut, the difference between being fat-adapted and keto-adapted, And then we bring on some of my Keto Challenge members who had VIP membership who asked Dr. Jocker some awesome questions. So you get to hear those questions, get to hear his answers. This is such a great episode. So I hope you stay present, take notes, listen to it a few times. And we're going to get into that episode shortly. Before I do, I want to remind you that we have another upcoming seven-day Keto Challenge, which is coming up starting on May 9th, 2022. For seven days, we're going to deep dive into keto, intermittent fasting, carnivore, hormonal health, inflammation, lab markers, and so much more. This is perfect whether you are brand new to keto or you're a pro and want to take it to another level. During these seven days, we go live for two hours, seven days in a row. I will be there every single day along with Alina, who's the COO of Keto Camp Academy, 
Our confirmed speakers include Dr. Ken Berry, author of Lies My Doctor Told Me, Dr. Benjamin Bickman, who we've had on the show five times before, the master of insulin, Dr. Daniel Pompa, the Michael Jordan, the GOAT of health educators, my personal mentor, and Dr. Mindy Pels, a female hormone expert, fasting pro, and they're all confirmed to be a part of this challenge along with myself. You don't want to miss this. We're also going to be giving away over $8,000 in free prizes for those who attend this keto challenge. From coffee, six months of coffee from Purity Coffee, Paleo Valley Bundles, Pure Form Plant-Based Omegas, Health Code Shakes, Redmond's Real Salt, and other surprises, including we're giving away a one-year membership to my Keto Camp Academy valued at over $2,000. All you need to do to get signed up for free is head to www.ketocampchallenge.com. We'll drop a link down below in the podcast notes, www.ketocampchallenge.com. There's an option to upgrade to a starter kit and then upgrade to VIP. If you really want to maximize your experience, you could do that. If you don't, no worries. It will be completely free. All you need to do is head to that link and get signed up. We do have limited spots. We're going to ramp up the advertisement for this in a couple weeks, but you're hearing it first here on the Keto Camp Podcast, so go go register for it. Can't wait to see you in the challenge. I'm going to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Lexi Paul. Hey, Lexi. I appreciate our conversations on Instagram. Here's what Lexi said. Ben is extremely helpful and a smart guy. If you want to learn how to live healthier, listen to Ben. He is very intelligent and thorough. He also responds to questions and treats people like they are his friends. Thank you, Ben. Hashtag autophagy always. (laughs) I love that. Thank you, Lexi. I consider you a friend and all of you listening and communicating with me on my social media platforms. We're friends. We're family. We're keto campers. The keto camp family is deep and growing, and I appreciate you, Lexi, for taking the time to listen and leave that review. If you haven't left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review, please do so right now. Without further ado, let's get to our special guest speaker, Dr. David Jockers. So let's give a quick introduction to Dr. Jockers, who is going to talk about the metabolism, fasting, and keto strategies. He has one of the most popular, incredible websites in the world, drjockers.com. Everybody bookmark that website. His articles are amazing. His courses are incredible. His infographics are the best I've ever seen. He also has an amazing YouTube channel. He has an amazing podcast that I've been a guest on. And he has a book called The Metabolic Breakthrough, Keto Metabolic Breakthrough, which I actually have right here. Uh, This is an amazing read and very easy read with amazing drawings, which you could get on Amazon. He also has a fasting book, which I have right back there. You could get on Amazon as well. So these are the two books. He also has other books as well, but these are his two latest books and you can buy them on Amazon. So Alina is going to drop a link for you to get his books on Amazon right now. So without further ado, I want to introduce a great friend of mine, an amazing man, strong faith beautiful family. He has been a leading authority in this space for such a long time. His name is Dr. David Jockers, and we are blessed to have him. Here is Dr. Jockers. Hey. Hey, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be on with you. Great to be on with you, David. Uh, Happy, healthy new year to you and your family. 
the the members here are so excited to have you here they've been following you for quite some time like myself and i'm excited because we haven't really talked too much about fasting uh so we're going to get into that but i i would love for you to maybe in a nut like a quick nutshell story why did you get involved in the health space when did you get involved with it what led up to it and uh let's and then we'll get into some of the stuff you're doing today well you know i was i was an athlete growing up so i was always interested in performance and my mom was actually training to be a naturopath. So she started teaching me that food influenced my performance. And, uh, you know, but, you know, as a, as a teenager, I thought, hey, I just want to be, you know, strong and fit. And so, you know, I was eating six meals a day, protein shake before I went to bed, big bowl of Quaker oatmeal squares or something like that, you know, oatmeal or something like that in the morning for breakfast. And I ended up developing irritable bowel and it was pretty bad. And that's actually when I discovered intermittent fasting and the grains out of my diet, followed really what we call a healing diet back then. Um, now it's more known as, you know, keto or um, paleo diet, but those terms weren't around back in those days. And um, I just noticed that I felt a lot better when I didn't eat in the morning and I fasted until my body naturally got hungry, which was usually around one or two o'clock. <clears throat> and then I would eat in like a four or five hour window and uh, I felt significantly better. My gut healed. Um, and I just felt, felt at my best. And, uh, it wasn't until actually years later that I heard the term intermittent fasting and I thought, oh, that's exactly what I do. <laughs> and I was getting the benefits from it. So, yeah. so many accidentally do intermittent fasting without realizing it. Uh, now it's like a, a very popular term, but nothing new about fasting, nothing new about keto. They've both been around forever since humans have existed. Um, when we look at America, for example, David, we, we see the opposite of intermittent fasting. We see frequent eating. And maybe if you could explain what are some of the problems that can occur when you're snacking and grazing all day long, even if it's healthy snacks, like what would that lead to? Yeah, for sure. And so basically we have this key hormone called insulin and insulin's job is to take sugar out of the bloodstream and put it into the cells. And this is a really important job because when we have elevated blood sugar, the sugar molecules will bind to proteins in our blood and they'll create something called advanced glycolytic end products or AGEs. And what do you think those do to us? They age us, right? And so they create massive oxidative stress, damage all the different tissue, the endothelial lining of the blood vessels, the damaged nerves, kidneys. You know, you think about somebody with uncontrolled diabetes, they end up with kidney failure, congestive heart failure. Um, they end up with optic neuritis because the, the nerves go into their eyes, become so damaged, peripheral neuropathy, they can't feel anything. Um, you know, it's a terrible disease and that's because of what happens when we have elevated blood sugar. So insulin's job is to get the sugar out of the bloodstream and into the cells and insulin's again, very, very key, but insulin also stops fat burning. So it doesn't allow us to burn fat for fuel and over time, if we keep bumping insulin, so for every time we eat, even if we're eating a low carb meal, we are still stimulating some level of insulin. Of course, there's some foods that are a lot more insulogenic that, that promote more insulin than others. Um, but nevertheless, every time we're eating, we're producing some level of insulin. And so when we continue to do that, we can develop a condition called insulin resistance, where we need to put, put out more and more and more insulin to get sugar out of the bloodstream and into the cells. And when we do that, when we, when we go over a certain threshold, which is unique and different for each individual, but we hit a certain threshold of insulin in our blood, it triggers inflammation in our system. 
So it promotes inflammation. And for many people, because they're eating from the time they wake up, like I used to when I was in my late teens and early 20s, would wake, I would wake up, I'd have to eat something within the first 30 minutes. And then, you know, I'm eating throughout the day, like many people are grazing, eating every, you know, two to three, four hours, and then um, eating something before you go to bed. You are constantly keeping insulin elevated. And so you're constantly turning on this signal of inflammation in your system. So you're just driving up inflammation, which damages all the major regions of your body. And again, you're developing insulin resistance and you're not allowing your body to burn fat for fuel. So when we stop doing that, we actually allow insulin to go down. Okay. And when insulin goes down, a unique thing happens in our body. Our body says, okay, we don't need to build because insulin actually tells us to build and store. So we're not, we're not in building a building stage right now. So we can actually take time to heal and repair. And so our innate intelligence now goes to work and starts healing and repairing all the different cells, down-regulating reg inflammation, getting rid of bad, damaged, senescent, or older um, immune cells, older mitochondria, which are what produce all the energy within the cells. We start using fat for fuel, right? So we start burning our own body fat. We start producing ketones which have this incredible anti-inflammatory effect in the body, particularly in the brain. Um, so we downregulate inflammation throughout the body. And, and in particular, again, like I said, in the brain where they have a, a epigenetic modulating effect where they actually shut down inflammatory pathways in the brain. They help balance certain neurotransmitters. We have an excitatory neurotransmitter called glutamate, which allows us to think sharply and quickly. And then we have the breaks in the brain, which, which is called GABA. For many people, due to blood sugar imbalances, uh, due to chronic stress, poor sleep, things like that, they have excessive glutamate, not enough GABA. So they have too much excitation, which can cause things like anxiety, headaches, depression. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of mood disorders can, can be related to that anger, irritability. And so it helps balance all the, that neurotransmitter chemistry out when we get the ketones elevated in the brain. And so we just basically reset our system and we're allowed to heal and repair. And our body really needs to go through cycles of building as well as healing, cleansing, and repairing. And so by taking time away from meals, right, by doing some level of intermittent fasting, uh, that allows us to do that and get that good balance of healing and repairing as well as building. Yeah, that's a key statement right there. It's important to get a nice balance of both. You know, too much of a good thing could be a bad thing. Too much fasting, too much autophagy, which is what you're referring to, this cleansing process, yeah. could actually weaken the immune system and eat away at hard-earned protein. Uh, so you're referring to two pathways, which we haven't discussed, so I'd love for you to discuss it, mTOR and autophagy. Uh, explain both those pathways, David, and how why it's important to balance both of those out. Yeah. Well, the mTOR pathway in, in a simple way is basically our building pathway. So it's about building muscle tissue, for example. It's about growth. It's about um, cell reproduction. And so we need that, right? Kids have a high driving mTOR because their bodies are growing fast. Pregnant women, uh, they're you know, obviously developing a fetus inside of them. As adults, we still want activity in the mTOR pathway, particularly because we want to maintain lean body tissue. We want to be strong. We want to be fit. And mTOR really helps us uh, be strong and fit and, and preserve muscle tissue. However, when mTOR is turned on all the time, now we actually end up with 
too much inflammation, I would say, and, and too much dysfunctional or senescent cells because we're not cleaning and repairing. So that's like where bodybuilders, for example, exactly that. Exactly. You got it. And so, and any, I mean, you think about most professional athletes, um, not only because of the trauma of the, um, of, of whatever they're doing, but also because of the constant eating and the, and the high calorie needs that many of these athletes have, you know, by the time they're in their forties and fifties, they're not looking good, right? Many of them die young. Um, and even or, though they were, or were, they look good on the outside, but on true. the inside. So that's why you hear yeah. a lot of people, oh my gosh, you know, this 45 year old CrossFit mm. athlete, you know, got COVID for example, and, and died. And this guy was you know, mm. super healthy. Well, they were probably highly inflamed because of the things we're talking about here. Yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely. And so, you know, autophagy, again, really helps balance that out. So autophagy, you know, we're, we're, we're taking time away from meals. mTOR go, gets, that suppresses mTOR. So now mTOR is suppressed. So we're not growing and building and dividing cells. And now our body says, okay, let's see what cells are actually working well and what's not, right? And what, what components of the cell, what mitochondria within the cell are working well and what's not. And the way the body can get rid of dysfunctional proteins or dysfunctional cells is really one of two ways, through autophagy or through apoptosis. Apoptosis is programmed cell death. The issue with apoptosis, although that is necessary, we, we need to have good apoptotic systems in our body. The issue is that it's energy demanding and it creates a lot of collateral damage in the body, right? So when a cell is, is destroyed, it leaks out all of its intracellular components, right? calcium, all these different electrolytes and things like that, which can create more inflammation and more oxidative stress in the body. So there's time and a place for it, but our body actually prefer, prefers autophagy because autophagy is actually more energy efficient. We can go in and we actually take, for example, the mitochondria that's damaged and we have, we create something called a phagospore where this enzyme called lysosome goes around it, right? Uh, actually surrounds it and then degrades it, releases enzymes that degrade it. Now it's degraded. Now it takes all the raw materials and actually forms them into a new healthy mitochondria. So it's like we're recycling it, um, it, it you know, rather than blowing it up. So, yeah. um, you know, so it's a lot more energy efficient. The issue is when we're not, when we, when we never get our insulin levels below a certain threshold, okay, like if we're eating all the time, then we're not going to undergo a significant level of autophagy and we're going to be relying more on that apoptosis and more inflammation uh, that, that our body produces, the, more high, the higher likelihood that the apoptotic mechanism is going to become dysfunctional as well. And that is a hallmark of uh, a bunch of different chronic diseases, dementia, Alzheimer's, um, cancer. These are all linked to a accumulation of abnormal cells that have not, they've lost their natural signal to destroy themselves. Mm. So we really want to lean more on autophagy to clean up the dysfunctional proteins, the dysfunctional cells in our body, as opposed to apoptosis. Amazing breakdown. And it's just so incredible how the body, you mentioned earlier, this has this innate intelligence that does this automatically, right? All you need to do is, is, remove the interference, stop eating so frequently, allow your body to tap into autophagy, this cellular cleaning process. And it's kind of like Pac-Man going within your cells, cleaning it out. And if the innate intelligence has determined that it's a senescent cell, like you mentioned earlier, a zombie cell, a cell that has no function, it's just creating 
more bad cells, more senescent cells, then apoptosis occurs, which is that programmed yeah. cell death, cell suicide. But then it goes a step further, which uh, creates a stem cell. So let's go through yes. that process. When a cell is get, when the body, when the innate intelligence gets rid of a cell, what happens after that? Yeah, then it's going to replace it. So now it, it replaces it and it creates new young embryonic cells that have more stress resiliency, that have stronger mitochondria. See, when we have these senescent cells that are continuing to divide, they're creating more copies of bad damaged cells, right? So they're actually creating young damaged cells. That's not what we want. So instead, we want to get rid of those or we want to repair them, right? Ideally repairing them before they become a zombie cell. If they've already become a zombie cell, we get rid of them and we replace them with these young embryonic stem cells. Innate intelligence. What would be your definition of what exactly that is? Well, it's this vital force that runs everything in our bodies without us even thinking about it, right? We don't have to think about replacing cells. Our body's constantly at work. We don't have to think about digesting our meal, but it's constantly at work. So, you know, <clears throat> I, I believe it's, you know, it's God at work within us. He put this mechanism within us and, um, you know, it's constantly running itself and it really doesn't need any help, just no interference. And so what we do as humans is we typically interfere with it through bad thoughts, through, you know, bad movement activities or, or lack of movement, um, through bad nutrition, right? We're constantly interfering with the intelligence of the body. Mm. Thoughts. David said, Dr. Drucker said, bad thoughts. On Monday, we talked about this thinking, thinking. And, and, and it's not woo-woo, by the way, because for several years, people used to say, there's no way your thoughts could create disease or health in your body. Well, you know what? <laughs> now science backs it up. If you look at Dr. Bruce Lipton's work, right? He, he has shown that a thought is a sound wave, a frequency that has the ability to penetrate your membranes and communicate with your DNA to produce a protein. Thoughts produce proteins. Mm -hmm. If it's a negative thought, a hateful thought, of, uh, a thought of, of uh, negativity, that protein created could be an inflammatory protein. But if it's a grateful thought, a, a loving thought, a, an abundant thought, that thought could create a protein that heals the body. Yeah. I mean, how, how amazing is that? our thoughts that we think everything yeah day. yeah so so powerful and you were talking about how important gratitude is that is so critical and that's you know a foundation of love and a foundation of thankfulness that will create those healthy proteins and it's thoughts trauma and toxins that interfere with innate intelligence so the more that we can pattern our thoughts reduce you know we may have we may have suffered with trauma, right? Physical trauma, emotional, you know, but working through that, healing from that. And then, um, you know, obviously try to reduce exposure to toxins, then the better that innate intelligence is going to run. Yeah. And we talked about toxins yesterday, you know, mercury, lead, glyphosate, mm -hmm. mold, et cetera. Uh, that's so important. And a lot of people miss the toxicity component. You have your book called Keto Metabolic Breakthrough. Everybody go buy it on Amazon. Why do you love keto so much? Why did you decide to write a book about it? So why do you love it so much, ketosis? And then mm -hmm. maybe some two or three principles from your book that somebody would uh, understand once they read the book. Well, for me, keto just allows my brain to function at its best. It's really a state of thriving. And so when, when ketones are elevated, your body becomes extremely energy efficient. And so for me, I notice it. I just feel more at peace, more calm. 
Um, I was talking about that glutamate to GABA ratio. Um, my brain is just able to function at such a higher level and I'm able to, to create and produce at a higher level. And so really think it's a, a state of thriving. And you think about our ancestral past, we would go into ketosis when we didn't have food. And so what did we need to do when we didn't have food? We needed to become creative. We needed to have great resiliency. We needed to have more endurance and energy so we can go out and find food, right? Whether it was, you know, traveling long distances to find, you know, some sort of fruit or vegetables or finding animals that we could kill. Um, we needed to become harder to kill during that stage. And so if we're always well-fed, we become lazy. I mean, we've all experienced that like on Thanksgiving. And so ketosis, ketones are what really has allowed humanity. It's, it's, it's the physiological adaptation that God created in our bodies that have allowed humanity to survive times of famine, times of extreme stress and challenge. And it's something that primes us for optimal health. And so there's many people that embark on a ketogenic diet to lose weight. And I think that's a great benefit to it. But really, it's, it's a state of thriving when mm -hmm. you have those ketones elevated in your system. And so yeah. that would be that. And then you talked about the book. You know, really, the idea of the book was just taking somebody, um, not only teaching them the principles of this and inspiring somebody to get into ketosis, but teaching them the best foods, the best nutrition strategies, um, you know, different, different challenges. There's so many different challenges that people have as they start to keto adapt, particularly people who are metabolically inflexible, where they're not good at burning fat for fuel. And so taking them through a gradual process, troubleshooting all different types of issues and supporting all their, you know, major organ systems. You know, we talked about the liver, right? So in my book, I talk a lot about, you know, supporting liver health, right? Supporting, um, you know, your electrolyte balance. We talk about supporting your, your brain and your adrenals and the connection there, your neuroendocrine system. And so these are all strategies that we need to apply in order to adapt effectively, to improve our metabolic flexibility, to burn fat for fuel and to thrive in life. Great explanation. Uh, I, I loved your definition of ketosis too. And, and you're right. Losing weight is, it's a worthy goal, but you don't do keto to lose weight, right? We, we established this on uh, yesterday, actually, we get healthy to lose weight and keto, keto mm -hmm. done the right way helps you get healthy. And a great side effect is you start to lose the weight. You start to reduce inflammation and drop insulin, especially when you combine it with uh, intermittent fasting strategies. Uh, let's transition into fasting because on Monday, this coming Monday, I'm going to be the final session of the challenge. I'm going to dive deep into fasting and keto flexing going in and out of ketosis. So let's start the conversation on fasting. You said on my, when I interviewed you on my keto camp podcast, the first time you said, if we just implemented, let's say the government mandated a 24 hour fast once a week for every American, we would put, I don't know what the exact words were, but you would put a serious dent in disease. Could you explain that? Yeah, for sure. So I think that's that's a great achievement when it comes to your metabolic health, right? If you're able to do a 24-hour fast, so let's say you eat dinner at 6 p.m., right? And you don't eat again until 6 p.m. the next day, right? So if you're able to do that and still able to function, do all the things that you would normally do, you, you don't freak out, you know, um, you don't have an anxiety attack, a panic attack, you don't uh, feel like you have to take a nap or something like that the next day, that's a sign that you're very metabolically fit and healthy. And that's a sign that you're insulin sensitive. And just about all chronic disease are related to insulin resistance and chronic inflammation. And so 
and gut dysbiosis. And that's another thing. Intermittent fasting has a powerful effect also on enhancing, healing the gut lining and enhancing the diversity of the microbiome. And so we're healing all those key mechanisms, insulin resistance, chronic inflammation, and healing the gut and uh, regulating the diversity of the, of the microbiome by doing that 24-hour fast. So um, yeah, I really think that 90 to 95% of chronic disease, would we would get rid of it if everybody did a 24-hour fast once a week. Now, I think we could do a lot more, um, obviously, by focusing on good nutritional habits, right, in general daily intermittent fasting, things like that. But I think we could do, we could really put a powerful dent, like you said, in chronic disease, just implementing a 24 hour fast once a week. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a really bold statement. And for those who are new here to keto and fasting, we, we're not saying you should go and do a 24 hour fast today, right? You, you build it up like a muscle and, and yeah. we'll talk more about that throughout the challenge, but you, you, you don't go into a 24 hour fast right away. First, you start with getting fat adapted, which means you're getting into ketosis. You're burning fat instead of sugar. You mentioned that a high percentage of people are insulin resistant or metabolically inflexible. What would you say in America, at least, you, what do you think the percentage is for those in America who are metabolically inflexible? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's at least 80%. And the reason why I say that is not everybody who's insulin resistant is overweight, right? I think, I think the obesity statistics are saying it's about 40%. Uh, of America that's obese right now, which is extraordinary. However, you can also be thin and metabolically inflexible. I was, I was always thin growing up, but if you had asked me to go, you know, to miss breakfast, that wasn't going to happen, right? I was going to freak out, have a panic attack. My heart would race. I'd be sweaty. Um, I would have some sort of hypoglycemic event because I was so metabolically inflexible. And so there are a lot of thin people out there that are actually cannibalizing their own bodies because of insulin resistance, right? Meaning that they're breaking down their own muscle tissue, their own bone tissue, they're inflaming their system. Um, and you know, they're, they're, they're just not functioning at their, at their best because they are insulin resistant. And so, you know, again, when food is so prevalent, whenever we eat, eating itself is like a drug. We actually release dopamine whenever we eat, particularly foods that we enjoy. And that's, that's a great thing, but we need to manage it. And when food is always available, right? Which it wasn't for our ancestors, but it is for us. We're going to have a propensity to eat and eat emotionally. We're going to eat whenever we feel like we're under stress or we want to take a break from our work. We're going to be eating and snacking on something to boost up that dopamine so we can feel better, right? But that is really not a healthy approach <clears throat> to dealing with stress and emotions and things like that. And so we have to use um, our own good sense, right? And our own um, you know, in the beginning, it may be willpower, right? To just say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Okay. Now what happens is over time, you start to experience the great benefits of ketones circulating in your bloodstream of burning fat for fuel. Um, as you start eating, you know, a keto diet, like, like Ben's been teaching you, um, with healthier foods, then you have less of these cravings, less of this desire. Your cells become more metabolically flexible your mitochondria become more efficient and you actually produce more mitochondria, mitochondrial biogenesis within the cells. And you're able to go longer periods of time without food and feel great. In fact, actually many people, as they start to adapt into this, tell me that they feel their best when they're in a fasted state. I know for me, I do my best work typically 
in a fasted state, right? And so that's because again, the ketones are elevated um, and uh, you know, you're able to do great work in that state. So um, that's really where you want to get, get you to is to this place where you thoroughly enjoy being in that fasted state. So then you can enjoy fasting and you can enjoy eating the meals that you enjoy. So you're just in a constant state of enjoyment. Which is the cycles of life, right? The feast yeah. famine approach. Um, Correct. You know, I, I love that. Uh, it's great. It's alarming to see, to hear about the stats in America, but we see it. And you don't have to be overweight to have these uh, metabolic damage. I, I think the, a study I read was 88% of Americans are metabolically inflexible. Yeah. So you said over 88%. I mean, it's right up there. That's a high, high percentage and it's going to age you faster. I mean, elevated blood sugar levels will take years for your doctor to diagnose that as prediabetes or diabetes. But in the meantime, you have all these advanced glycation end products like Dr. Jockers mentioned. You're wrecking the metabolism. You're in its constant fed state, mTOR, 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 and you're creating insulin resistance. And then it takes 10, 15, 20 years. You go to the doctor and you get a report that says, oh, you are diabetic you know here are some medications but why do you want to even get to that point number one we want to be proactive and not reactive but if you do get to that point the solution they give to you is not the solution it's something to help manage it it's something to kind of mm -hmm. treat the blood sugars and on paper the blood sugars will look better in the meantime the body's getting worse and worse and worse so why do we see such a mismatch with how we teach uh, the holistic alternative health and conventional wisdom, David. Well, in, in holistic health, we're really getting to the root cause. And we also honor the innate intelligence of the body. And we say, you know what, the body knows best. We look at our ancestral past. How did our ancestors function? How did they adapt to the stressors in their environment? And how can we, you know, not necessarily go back to that, but utilize things that worked for them and, um, and allow our body to do, to do what it, it's supposed to do, what it was designed to do. As opposed to that in conventional medicine, again, their, their whole model is they want to ease suffering, right? So their whole idea is, okay, we want to ease suffering. And there's, that's, that's a really compassionate place. However, the problem is these solutions are, you know, basically they're, physio they're, they're, they're blocking certain physiological pathways in our system. So they're not actually working in harmony with our body. They're actually blocking physiological pathways within our system to get a desired result. And over time, our body will either adapt and go around that, that physiological blockage, or, um, you know, th th there'll be tremendous side effects that come from blocking that physiological process or both. And uh, so typically, you know, your modern medicine, modern, modern medical approach is great for acute crisis care. Mm -hmm. but it's not going to help you in the long term. So it's not something you want to be doing um, over the long term. Instead, you want to get to the root cause, which always comes back to your lifestyle. And you always have to address what sort of trauma, toxins, right? And, and thoughts are, are, are leading you in the wrong direction and start to um, recenter those. We are going to get into Q&A soon with the VIP members. So if you're a VIP member watching and you're not in the back-end studio, uh, I see Michelle in the back-end studio, Maria and Marta, but there are several other <laughs> VIP members. So this is the opportunity to get into the studio because we're going to, in a few minutes, we're going to do VIP Q&A. And then I see 192 of you live right now in the Facebook group. So congrats. And I see so many great comments here. They're loving the information. Uh, just to pick up where you left off with, with diabetes, for example. 
it's, it's actually really rare for somebody to die from diabetes. They, they die from the, the degeneration of it, the strokes, the heart attack, the <laughs> knee disease, the amputations, et cetera. And with my dad, I shared my dad's story on Monday. My, my dad went through that whole process of allopathic care, diabetes, worse, 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 more insulin, more blood sugars, massive stroke. He ended up passing away in 2014. And I'm sure a lot of people watching right now have a similar story. So we know that healthcare is actually sick care. And here's the honest truth. A patient that is healed is a lost customer. Okay. Mm. That's the truth of the matter. And they are not looking at cause. They're not looking at innate intelligence. They're looking at symptoms and symptom chasing. So the fact that you're all here on the, on this live stream, on this challenge, you're all what I call geniuses because you're being proactive instead of reactive. And we have these ancient healing strategies, ketosis, intermittent fasting, carnivore, that have been around forever that help the body tap in and harness this innate intelligence and, and helps to heal the body. So with keto, keto is so great. We love keto, but then why don't we want to do keto for the rest of our lives, David? Yeah, for sure. So keto is a nutrition plan that in a sense mimics fasting in that it keeps insulin down, right? That's where the magic in fasting is. It, it obviously suppresses insul insulin completely. So you have very, very little insulin in your blood and that's where innate intelligence can now go to work. Okay. Well, really keto does something similar. So you'll have a little bit higher fat, higher insulin levels than you would if you were um, fasting but not very high. And so you keep your insulin down. Now, the issue is that we actually need higher insulin for short periods of time in order to tell the body to produce certain hormones and to um, tell the body to build and to grow, right? And, and we need that for, for certain periods of time. And so that's where feasting, when we do eat, we want to eat and eat well, right? So we get enough of a trigger of insulin. We get enough calories in our system. So we're able to fully replenish our body and we're able to produce the hormones we need to really thrive. So a lot of these sex hormones, for example, and thyroid hormone depend upon enough insulin to get the right amount of stimulation. And so again, for many people, um, they're already producing too, ma too much insulin, right? So we need to focus on driving that insulin down. But when it's insulin gets down, now we want to actually prime it and in a sense, go elevate it for a short period of time and then drop it down again, right? Then later elevate it and drop it down again, okay? And when we get the right stimulation there, we really feel, feel great and we're, all of our hormones are able to, to uh, thrive and uh, you know, we're able to function and feel at our best. So important because we don't want to be dogmatic here. We, we want to understand how the body works and insulin is not bad. And, and it's uh, insulin is a, is a survival mechanism. I mean, the fact of the matter is this, we wouldn't exist right now in 2022 if the body wasn't able to produce insulin. Our ancestors survived famines because they were able to store fat from insulin and then go through periods of time without food and then start burning their stored energy. That's all body fat is. It's stored energy and people have too much stored energy. And that could look like physical too much stored energy or around those organs where you're skinny fat. It could happen both ways. Um, and you were talking about ketones earlier, what it does for the brain, what it does for the body, the anti-inflammatory effects. Now that will happen once you get fat adapted. And I wanna kind of get into the difference between being fat adapted and keto adapted. 
So fat adaptation simply means you're burning fat and you're producing ketones. You're verifying that by checking your blood ketones. 0.5 or higher, your fat adapted takes 7 to 14 days. Now, what's the difference between that and being a little bit disciplined longer to get keto adapted? Yeah. So when you're keto adapted, your body gets really good at utilizing the ketones as an energy source. And that's where you want to be. So for example, if you're testing your ketones on a urine strip in the beginning, as you're getting fat adapted, your body's producing the ketones, but you're not using them. So you're urinating them out. So you'll see the ketones really high for a lot of people. They think that's a really good sign and it's not necessarily a good sign. It's a sign that your body is producing the ketones but as you get keto adapted, what you'll actually notice is that the ketones will go down. And that's because your body's utilizing them and using them as an energy source. So at first they go up in urine and then they go down, right? And that's normal. In blood, right? Um, typically as you get more keto adapted, right? Your blood, well, it really depends. What I've seen is uh, a number of different things. I've seen ketones go up in the blood, right? But the person still doesn't feel great. Right. And then what happens is as their body gets better at utilizing them, you typically will see the ketone levels roughly around the same. For some people, they go down and then they feel better. Right. So, again, with keto ad adaptation, one of the big things you'll notice is that you just are able to go longer periods of time without food, without having cravings, and without feeling like you're going to crash. Right. You're just able to go longer periods of time. So, you're, it's, it's not hard for you to go 18 hours without a meal. Um, as long as you're staying hydrated because the ketones are elevated and that's the sign that you're keto adapted. Yeah. And keto adaptation, I mean, at least from what I've seen, I want, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. It takes a little bit longer, eight to 12 weeks of yeah. you know, being in ketosis. Is that what you've seen too? Yeah. If you're starting from scratch, right. if you've built the machinery in the past. Okay. And then let's say you went, went through the holidays and you know, you were, you were feasting on cake and all kinds of good sugary foods and stuff like that. You can get back into it because your body already understands it and knows it. The, the machinery has been built. You can get back into it pretty quickly right within, you know, roughly a week or two sometimes. However, if you're new to this and you're coming in and you've been very metabolically damaged from bad nutritional habits over the years, then yes, it can take a lot longer. Um, now, if you're already coming in and you, let's say you, you know, you've been exercising, living a healthy lifestyle, it can be a lot shorter than eight to 12 weeks. But uh, I think that's a good conservative estimate for somebody that's coming in metabolically damaged, um, overweight, uh, high insulin levels. It's going to take some time to really get the body trained to be able to use these ketones as an energy source. I have one more, one more question before we get to Q&A. Before I get to that, do you have a hard stop at one? No, no, I can go a little bit longer. Okay, yep. no, just in case. I wanted to make sure. So <clears throat> last question before we get to Q&A is mm -hmm. you, you mentioned fasting and what it does for the di digestive system in, in terms of diversity. We know that people who are healthier and, and live a longer life have more diversity in the gut. One of the best ways to increase diversity is to stress it with fasting. So what happens there with, when you stress the gut with fasting and how can it improve these, these, uh, digestive, uh, disorders yeah. like heartburn, acid reflux, bloating, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. And so <clears throat> a couple things, number one is, <clears throat> excuse me. Number one is that it takes <clears throat> mechanical stress off of the digestive system. <clears throat> so if you're constantly walking, <clears throat> got some water, you want to get some water? I'll, I'll chat for yeah, a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I see Michelle back here, Maria, Marta, and Agatha. So I want to start that as soon as he answers this question. Yeah, yeah, I'm better. 
So if you're constantly stressing your gut, right? Or if you're constantly stressing your ankle and then you take a break, right? Let's say you have a sprained ankle and you're constantly walking on it. You're never, you're never going to heal where your gut, you only have one cell wall, right? And it's one cell wall all the way across in your gut. And so when we're constantly eating, we're constantly putting stress on the gut lining, causing inflammation and damage. So fasting just takes stress off the gut, which allows it to heal and repair. Now, the other mechanism in the gut is that we have all these different bacteria and we have kind of two classifications of bacteria in our gut. We have primary feeders and we have secondary feeders. The secondary feeders live deep in the mucosa. So we have this mucus layer in our intestines that covers the intestines, that protects the intestines. And that's where the immune component, secretory IgA is in the gut. And when we are constantly eating, the primary feeders are being overfed and they're crowding out the secondary feeders. When we stop eating for periods of time, the secondary feeders actually eat the mucosa in our intestines, and they actually stimulate the production of goblet cells, and they, they stimulate something called, they, they create something called urolithins, um, which actually stimulate stronger, healthier mitochondria within the intestinal lining. So they actually help create a stronger, more stress-resilient, um, intestinal lining that can handle more stress and function well, right? So it helps prevent against intestinal permeability, leaky gut, um, and overgrowth of bad bacteria, parasites, different things like that, because we're giving time for these secondary feeders. The way I think about it is that in my, in my uh, yard here, we have an apple tree and we have a blueberry bush. And wow. every spring we have to, we have, the apple tree, if it overgrows, it crowds out the sun and the blueberry bush does not get any sunshine. And so we actually have to trim the hedges. We have to actually cut parts of the branches off of the apple tree. Now, why would we want to damage the apple tree? It's such a, you know, it's a beautiful fruit producing tree. Well, we do that so that way it doesn't crowd out the blueberry bush. So we're able to get the sun for the blueberry bush. And when that happens, now we have apples and blueberries. And that's kind of what happens in our gut we don't want to crowd out these secondary feeders. And the primary secondary feeder that's been studied is called acromanzia, acromanzia mucinophilia. Mucinophilia means mucus loving. It loves to eat this mucus. And microbiome researchers have looked at it and they've shown that across the board, people with higher amounts of acromanzia mucinophilia have lower rates of metabolic disease, chronic inflammatory conditions, and uh, have better overall health. They call that the, the skinny bacteria sometimes, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it, again, it's associated with good metabolic health. Great explanation. Everybody loves your analogies. I see they love the ankle analogy and the bush analogy. Uh, awesome. So we're going to dive deep more into fasting and what it does for the gut on Monday session, which is session seven. I want to take this time to get to the Q&A VIP member. So Michelle in the back end studio, give me a thumbs up uh, here if you're ready to come on here and ask Dr. Jockers. Okay, she's ready. So here is Michelle who's a VIP member. Hey, Michelle. So I've tried to ask general questions the last two days, but this one's a bit more specific. I am a stroke survivor of three years. My primary care doctor um, is adamant about me not fasting. I have gotten her to allow me to time restrict feed, but 16, 8, has been her limit once in a while, just like a child. I test the waters of the line in the sand and I've done an 18-6. With that information, what is my best way 
to uh, optimize any autophagy or whatever that she is within the her allowed limits. Um, the medication that I have reduced in the last three years is not because she has taken me off of them, but because I've been keto and did it myself. So, you know, I just kind of test that line and I, I need to optimize the best I can. Yeah, for sure. So I think 18 hours, number one is, is great. If you're able to do that and feel good, I think that's fantastic. And she may be saying that because there's a medication that you're taking that you may feel bad if you don't take it with food. Right. I don't know exactly, you know, uh, no, it's diabetic that. medication because okay. I, so I was undiagnosed medication. until my stroke. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what you'll notice is you definitely will want her to be looking at your blood sugar and also testing your fasting insulin levels as well. So you can ask her to test the fasting insulin levels, which you want to see under five or six, right? Five or six kind of, kind of like for optimal health, right? When you're first recovering, mm -hmm. if you can get it under 10, that's great. Um, but then ideally under five or six in that, in that range. Um, and so that you want her to test because as you're doing keto and doing some level of intermittent fasting, your blood sugar is going to get a lot better. Your insulin levels are going to get better. And that medication may drive you down too low and cause problems. So she needs to really be testing that. And you'll probably need to make her aware of that because probably most of her patients are not as proactive as you. And so therefore they're just getting you know, either staying on the same dose or getting more oftentimes of the medication. So she's not going to be used to actually looking at it and, and dropping you down. So you'll need a reminder you're following these lifestyle principles. Um, but I think 18 hours is great for where you're at right now. Okay. Staying well hydrated. You can do things like, for example, drinking green tea, for example. If you feel good with green tea, green mm -hmm. tea, the uh, catechins that are in there, which are these polyphenols, actually help stimulate autophagy. You can use turmeric with your foods. You can drink ginger oh, tea. Ginger stuck. also helps stimulate <clears throat> um, autophagy. Resveratrol is a supplement that helps stimulate autophagy. You can use oregano, basil, thyme on your food. Those kind of Mediterranean herbs, they have a compound called carvacrol, which helps stimulate autophagy. So a lot of these herbs can help. And even one that you know a lot of people thoroughly enjoy, some dark chocolate. Mm. Actually, you've got um, you've got uh, catechins in there, EGCG, e e right? Epigalactic catechins that are in green tea or in the dark, dark chocolate as well, which can stimulate autophagy as well. And then also exercising, right? So getting some movement, maybe a little bit of exercise, right? Not too much, you know, start, start slow, but, uh, you know, kind of gradually work it up. And that can also really, really help with autophagy. Yeah. Exercise is hard because I have mobility issues. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Um, <clears throat> well, see what you can do. Uh, perhaps like a, a personal trainer or somebody like that can mm -hmm. show you some things that you can do based on your limitations to stay active. Okay. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you so much. Yes, you're very welcome. That's a great question because I'm sure there's a lot of you who are on here who are on medication and you'll work with your doctor to reduce the dosage and eventually get off of it. As you get healthier, you're going to want to do that. Um, next, I'm going to bring on, and thank you, David. That was awesome. Uh, is it catechins or how did you say it? Catch yeah, catechins. Yep. Catechins. Am I saying it wrong or, or, or is it the way you No, say you're it? saying it right. Yep. Okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Catechins are great. And, and they also, the, the ones you mentioned also help with the topogy, like you said. So that's great. Uh, Maria, I'm going to bring you on here. So here is Maria, VIP member. Hey, Maria. Hi, good afternoon. Hi, hi, Dr. Jockers. How you doing? Hey, you're doing great, Maria. Great. My question <laughs> great is, 
Thank you. I appreciate your time. Um, I have Hashimoto's in the thyroid condition, right? I'm taking level thyroxine. My question to you is, how do I navigate this with uh, fasting and um, the best supplements to take? And I'm new to keto, so I'm working with that. Yeah. It was just like a, it's not making it easier for me, so I'm trying to... Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, Hashimoto is an autoimmune condition. Obviously, always a good idea to talk with your physician, you know, about any sort of changes so they can work with you on that. I have seen a lot of people with Hashimoto's that were taking levothyroxine or, or, or Synthroid or something like that um, really have no issues, you know, with, with doing okay. intermittent fasting. But, you know, you want to follow all the strategies that Ben talks about. Liver health is super important, especially when it comes to any sort of autoimmune condition. Um, you know, you might need more electrolytes to help balance things. You might really need to prioritize good rest at times. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so there's some different things like that. Vitamin D, I see being a big issue, vitamin D deficiency when it comes mm -hmm. to Hashimoto's. So that's something you can test. Um, you can get like a blood prick, you know, for your, your you know, just a, a home test for your finger. Or of course, you can go in, get some blood work done and look at your 25-OH vitamin D. You want that to be up over 50 nanograms per milliliter. Okay, I see that being very low for a lot of people with autoimmune conditions. And for some people with autoimmune conditions, they'll tell me things like, oh, yeah, yeah, I take vitamin D, but they actually have um, some issues that are that are not allowing them to absorb as much vitamin D. So, mm -hmm. um, so oftentimes they'll need high doses of vitamin D, one to 2,000 international units per 25 pounds of body weight. And obviously trying to get as much sun as you can, which, you know, can be harder this time of year. But, um, but yeah, vitamin D is a, is a critical one. Zinc is also a very important one uh, when it comes to thyroid health overall. And then also autoimmunity. I see oftentimes issues with zinc and also selenium. So those are all things to consider, um, you know, as you're looking at you know, getting the right nutrients in your body. And, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, following this sort of a diet is a great template. You know, you're obviously coming off of gluten, grains, a lot of these types of food triggers, and then also just looking out for any other possible triggers. Like if you're consuming something and then you feel fatigued after that, okay? Uh -huh. Like for me, I used to love peanut butter and then, um, you know, I, I, I would eat it all the time, especially back when I was a college student because it was cheap. Um, you know, I get some organic peanut butter and then I noticed that when I would eat that, I would feel so fatigued afterwards. Okay. And that was a sign that my body was actually created. I had a sensitivity to it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're looking out for signs like that. Um, whether it's fatigue or whether it's, you know, a skin issue or, um, brain fog or something along those lines. Okay. okay. With anything that even may be considered healthy, like eggs or something like that. Um, so you're trying to look out for any of those types of foods that may potentially trigger inflammation in your system. And you can just take them out for a week or two and see if you notice that you feel better. Okay. And okay. then you can kind of slowly implement them back and see if, um, if you're able to tolerate those. Okay. Oh, quick on the zinc and the selenium, how, how much? Yeah. I mean, it really depends on the person, but uh, there is studies that have shown that uh, about 200 micrograms of selenomethionine, that particular type of selenium. Mm-hmm. Can't remember how much it reduced the antibodies in Hashimoto's, but um, but it showed pretty significant reduction in um, an in Hashimoto's antibodies, so thyroid antibodies, okay. Okay. and then um, and then 400 micrograms was even more effective. Mm -hmm. right? So two to 400 micrograms of 
the selenomethionine. And then okay. zinc, you know, zinc works with, you know, you obviously don't want to get too much selenium, so I wouldn't go over 400. And then okay. um, zinc, it works with copper, right? But I do find that most people need a lot more zinc than copper. Okay. And so typically you're going to be on the safe side, just taking about 20 to 30 mi uh, milligrams of, of a good zinc, like zinc glycinate or bisglycinate or uh, yeah. So those are, are typically, or zinc picolinate uh, is another good Picolinate, form. Yeah. Um, okay. yeah. So something along those lines should be good. And you can also run a test, um, a zinc copper test, which actually looks at your plasma zinc and serum copper and you can look at a ratio there and you want that ratio to be about one to 1 1.2 so, oh that's excellent thank you doc that brings me into the next question can i ask another question ben? Go ahead. thank you um i i've ordered a mineral metabolic test cool and i haven't sent it in yet but um what's your take on those tests and who should read them yeah, I'm not familiar with that specific one. Um, um, do you want me to give the name of the? A mineral metabolic test. Like What's a the company? Yeah, some, uh, upgraded. Oh, upgraded. yeah, upgraded formulas. I use them, uh, David. Okay, so Ben may know more than me. I don't. I haven't used them. Yeah, so Maria, their upgraded formulas is great. They have people on their team that uh, do consults for you to look at okay. the ratios, like Dr. Jockers was speaking about. So they're awesome. Burn Scott is a friend of ours, so they're great. Okay. I wouldn't okay. focus though on the heavy metals part of that test. I don't think we should look at hair for a heavy metal diagnosis. I think we should look at it for mineral and mineral imbalances and ratios. So that's a great test, Got and it. you could get somebody on their team to read it for you. Perfect. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you Ben. Thank you, thank you, Ben. Yep. Great questions. Okay. Uh, question here, David, from Marta. I can't come on the live because I'm at work, but I want to know about constipation and keto. That's why I stopped it in the past. I've taken everything from probiotics, prebiotics, magnesium, increasing fluids and vegetables. I have insulin resistance and fatty liver, and I'm not losing weight. So what advice would you give for Marta? Yeah. So with constipation, a couple things, you know, certainly increasing magnesium electrolytes in general, getting more salt in your system. You can even do like some salt and water, uh, just kind of throughout your fasting window or like between meals. Um, and that can keep your energy up and keep things moving well, hydrating really, really well, uh, can be really effective. And then playing around with the amount, you know, a lot of people think, okay, I'm not, I'm constipated. So I need more fruits and vegetables. And in some cases that really helps. Okay. But other cases, it actually makes it worse. So for some people, if you're noticing, if you're trying to increase the amount of vegetables and yet, you know, you're, you're, you're still constipated, you may actually need less, right? So you may actually need less of those, you know, still continue with magnesium and different things like that. And that can help. And there's also, I've also found that for some individuals that struggle with this, they have issues with their ileocecal valve, right? And there's actually a massage you can do right? It's called the ileocecal valve massage. Okay. I have a article on my website that goes in a lot of detail on that shows you exactly how to do it, a video and stuff like that. But it's ileocecal valve, which is kind of down around where your appendix is, right? Lower right hand quadrant of your abdomen. And sometimes just massaging in that area can be really, really helpful. Okay. And I've seen a lot of people uh, get a lot of benefit there um, by just kind of moving that, moving things through, especially like for women that possibly may have um, had a child or something like that, that could have caused, you know, possibly some, um, 
you know, just, just some, some issues down in that area where maybe you had food poisoning that caused major inflammation in that region at some point in your life. Um, there, there's a number of reasons why that area can be sensitive and can be uh, closed, right? That valve can be closed and dysfunctional. So that massage can be really, really helpful there. Awesome advice. I, I would add to that, maybe getting a squatty potty as well to just elevate mm. the knees and get into that natural position and stress yeah. when your body is in a fearful, stressful, sympathetic state. It doesn't want to eliminate. So master stress and everything David said, it was great. Yeah, and one, one last thing too, warm beverages also in the morning. Huh. A lot of people use coffee to do this, right? Warm beverages, so warm herbal tea, right? Coffee can also help. Um, that can be really helpful. And, you know, if things still aren't going, you, you may even try doing an enema, right? To just kind of help clear things out, right? And then get in a regular pattern. Awesome. And Alina will get the link for that article and post it in the, uh, the chat. Um, Agatha is going to come on here and ask you another question. So here is Agatha. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hi. Hey. I, uh, first of all, look at it. She's wearing the wired headset. I told her yesterday to take off the Apple AirPods and get wired, and she did it. So good job, Agatha. <laughs> it's funny because I hated them. Go. They were too big in my ears anyway. I like. I just don't like them. Good job. Uh, I have two questions. Uh, my question is this. I love running and fasted running, but I like running early in the morning and I rather I have to eat within two hours after run. Is that true? Because that's really messing up my schedule. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't. Um, and so you can, so as you get fat adapted, as long as your body, as long as you're getting a, the right amount of calories in, okay, in a certain like kind of 24 hour period, um, you can exercise at any time. You don't have to eat right after you exercise. All right. Now, if you're under eating, okay, mm -hmm. then your body may send signals to you that you might have more cravings. You might feel fatigued. You might have, you might all of a sudden be ravenous, right? When you want to be fasting. So as long as you're consuming enough food, particularly enough protein, okay. Um, but enough calories in general, the day before, for example, mm -hmm. then you can get up and run fasted and, and then continue to fast until whenever you want to break your, 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 uh, your fast. Good. That's great. Cause I was limiting my runs and yeah, cause it was really messing with my schedule. But also I want to ask, um, what is, is green tea actually stopping the fasting or not? Because I've heard two different opinions about it. Yeah, that's a good question. So green tea in general doesn't have any calories. Uh -huh. So from that perspective, it's not uh, it's 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 not ending the fast. However, if for some reason you have a unique food sensitivity to it, it is possible that it could drive up insulin and inflammation in general. And one way mm -hmm. that you would know that is you would tend to feel like you uh, like your energy would just drop around mid morning. So if you had it in the morning you know, within two to three hours later, your energy would drop. You probably have more cravings, things like that. Okay. It's kind of the same with coffee. So if you're drinking black coffee, there's no calories mm -hmm. in that. It's not ending your fast and coffee or green tea or anything like that. You should feel good drinking that. And it should actually, if anything, help you fast longer. Um, and if it's not, if you're noticing that it just increases your cravings whenever you drink that, and you seem to hit a wall, you know, a few hours later, that's a sign that your body's not responding well to it. So it wouldn't be good for you, you personally to use that. But in general, as a general statement, no, green tea is not breaking a fast. How about stevia? Yeah, well, I would say the same with stevia. However, what I, 
I would say it's a much higher likelihood that you're going to notice more cravings when you put stevia in something. So if you put stevia in your coffee or in your green tea or something like that, much higher likelihood that you are going to bump your insulin and mm-hmm. you have cravings later on as time goes on. So I, I would recommend, I just think it's good for your brain too, to come off of anything sweet because that sweet stimulation triggers your dopamine. Mm-hmm. And so I would save stevia sweetened beverages or foods. Like you can still eat stuff with that, but I would save it for your eating window. And okay. during your fasting window, no sweetening agents because that will actually help you reset your dopamine receptor sensitivity as well. I never look at it that way. That's good. Um, I have one more question, Ben. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so um, I have been on the metatroxide. I took only four doses and that was six weeks ago now. And it's I couldn't fast during that time at all because it's just not allowed, basically. I have a rheumatoid arthritis. What happens is now that I realize not each single time, but often when I fast, about hour 14, I start feeling sick like nauseous and not hungry, but I'm just still feeling sick. Do you think that's just because I'm still like, I, I think the metatroxide is in your body for like six weeks to so much, you know, some longer time. Do you think is that what it is? Or there is something else I should be trying to figure out? An idea? Why would I feel sick? Is that for me like, or is that for Ben? Uh, it's for you. Like, why would I feel oh, okay. sick within like, it's like 14 hours. I start feeling like nauseous, like pain in my stomach, kind of nauseous thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know enough about that drug specifically and, and fasting to make a comment on that. Um, for some people, uh, there could be a, a few reasons why they, they start to feel like pain in their stomach. One is that bad gut bacteria start to die off. And the die-off itself can cause some issues like that. There also may be like a weakening in the intestinal lining, like a like oftentimes a ulcer in the duodenum can cause more tension away from meals. People start to notice just more kind of uncomfortability when they're not eating. So that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. And with your history, you know, it's certainly possible that, you know, that that you would be at an increased risk for something like that. Um, and so both of those types of things can, can be the case. And sometimes it's just kind of like your stomach and your, your body adjusting to not having anything in your stomach. Right. Mm-hmm. And it just may fit, make you feel uncomfortable and it's sending signals up into your brain through your vagus nerve. So, um, and, and that's causing that sensation. So sometimes for, for some people just taking some deep breaths, right. Calming their body will help stimulate that vagus nerve and send more feedback messages into the digestive system to kind of calm things and comfort things. Okay, thank you. That thank I you, think, Agatha. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm going to let David go before I, I'm going to get to other questions. So, <laughs> where can they go find you? Well, drjockers.com, but share your podcast, yeah. social media, all that. Yeah, drjockers.com. Uh, you know, you can find me on YouTube, Dr. David Jockers, Instagram, Facebook, and um, podcast is the functional Dr. Jockers Functional Nutrition Podcast, too. So check that out as well. Thanks check so much, out. Ben. It's been an honor. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, go ahead and yep. have a, a sign out. We appreciate you. All right. Thank you so much, David. Sounds good. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that amazing conversation with Dr. Jockers. Go get his books, The Fasting Transformation, Keto Metabolic Breakthrough supercharge your brain. We'll drop links for all that down below. Go subscribe to his podcast.
which is called Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, which we'll link down below as well. His website is drjockers.com. And hey, get signed up for the next challenge. Our speakers are incredible. It's going to be game-changing. It's going to make a big difference for you on your health journey. Head to ketocampchallenge.com click or click the link in the podcast notes. Get signed up for it. If this episode was beneficial, please consider leaving it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to and share it with a friend, somebody you believe who could get value from this conversation. And thank you for letting us serve you. Episode 400 is in the books. Cheers to 1,000 more, 2,000 more. We're going to continue getting these episodes out there. So I hope you are subscribed. Hope you're sharing the information. Have an amazing day. Keto Camper, I appreciate you. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I'll speak to you on Friday. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.